If you'd like to follow along with me, we're going to be reading some verses that we've already made reference to in one of the songs that Scott led. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 11 and in verses 28 through 30. And I suspect that these are verses that you probably are already familiar with. In verse 28, reading from the King James Version, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when thinking about these verses, I believe that Jesus is very clear about the fact that he can relieve our burdens, that he can provide rest, and that he can provide comfort for all who will come to him. So there is this invitation, almost with extended arms, where he says, come unto me, all ye. So this is an invitation that is open to everyone. And when we think about our Savior, when we think about who he is and what he has done, it's overwhelming to realize that this is an invitation for everybody to enjoy fellowship with him. You know, there are people we deal with on a regular basis who are important people. They're powerful people, people in positions of great authority. But they're separated from us. You know, we think of maybe the president and he's got the secret service or maybe at some point in the future it might be a she has the secret service surrounding because of that office and, and how that person represents the whole. Or we might think of some, some billionaire that has a private bodyguard. People can't approach. And even those individuals who may be close to them, they're often kept at an arm's distance because there is a, a, a leeriness about why do they really want to have a relationship with that individual? Is it because of their power? Is it because of their position? Is it because of their money? But here is the creator, our savior. And he's saying, I want everybody, I want everyone to have a relationship with me. And yet, what we find is that according to the scriptures, not everyone who's invited is a good candidate to respond. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So there's a realization that there's something that Jesus is offering, but there's something that I have to give. And that to be in this relationship, it's not all about me getting. It's also about me giving as well as what he is offering. Why should we even consider? Why should we even consider reasons why some should not respond? And I think the answer is because of what Peter mentions in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 20 and 21. He says, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them.
Peter is reminding us of the simple fact that there are going to be some people who are going to depart. There are going to be some people who, after having known the truth, will not remain steadfast. There is a warning then in the scriptures, if you don't fully commit and see it through, it's going to be a wasted life. It's going to have been all that effort put into working with the Lord and in the end to get nothing. How do you feel when that happens in life? How do you feel when you've put forth effort, when you've worked, when you've been diligent, and then what you were promised doesn't come about? Well, I think most of us are upset. We might even say angry. But what if it were your own fault? What if you were told, don't do this thing or else, and then you do it? And the or else comes into existence. You might still be angry, but it's because of your own neglect. I want to think about that today. I want to think about the invitation of our Lord and put out a warning in, in recognizing that there really are some people who in, in thinking of coming to Jesus, there are going to be others who should not come. And we really want to begin with the fact that Jesus wants everyone to come. Jesus wants everyone to come to him. So we're not saying don't come. We're not saying that in any way, shape, whatsoever. We are putting this in the context of recognizing a warning. We do want to point out that there are certain attitudes that are going to destroy your hope for being saved, that are going to destroy the pardon that exists because that pardon is offered not by our standards, but by his standards. So we want to think about some examples that he provides as, a, as an idea of a warning. We think about the marriage feast that is presented as the parable in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read these 14 verses and then come back and look at a couple of things there. So it says in Matthew 22, beginning of verse 1, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed. All things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and treated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. He sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, 
but few are chosen. In looking at this feast, we recognize that an offer has been made, an offer of some great event. You know, maybe today we don't think of a marriage reception like they would back then. When it talks about a feast, this was a huge event. This was a multi-day event. This was, for someone, the belief it was going to be a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and so the celebration would match that belief. And so to invite people to come to someone's marriage feast was a huge event. Not just anybody got an invitation. But then later on, when we have the invitation extended, there was still an expectation that people would respond with respect to the king's invitation and that they would come the way that they were expected to come to a king. And so that's why the one man is cast out. He accepted the invitation, but not the conditions that were extended in that invitation. The king, we find, had put in a great amount of effort in preparing the feast. In verse 4, he says, tell them, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatlings are killed. It's another way of saying, not only is everything ready, but the time is now. They're, they're killed. I can't do anything with them, but serve them as food. And if you don't come, they either spoil or I've wasted this particular situation. And so the invitation is extended and we understand that the king has put forth this great effort. And yet those who are initially invited ignore it. They don't have any desire. It's not worth their effort. Verse 3, they would not come. They are bidden. They're given a special invitation. Not worth their effort to come. But then at the second invitation, not all are accepted. Why? Verse 5, it says, they made light of it. Therefore, we are warned, whether it was the first invitation, the second invitation, or the final invitation. Verse 14, many are called, but few are chosen. Because a standard is established by the Lord, and that standard must be met, or else we deal with the consequences. And of course, there are other passages that, that make that very clear unto us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And in that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these wonderful things? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. In other words, they proclaimed him as Lord, but their service for him was according to their own standard. I'm going to do this for you. And Jesus said, well, while you were doing that, my father asked you to do something and you totally ignored him. Now, you might look at these people here and like say the people in Matthew 22 in the parable of the marriage feast, like verse five, it says one went to his farm and other his merchandise. These people might have said, hey, we're busy. I've got a farm to run. No one's going to take care of that if I'm not there. Or someone else says, I've got limited stock here. I've got to sell this or else I'm going to lose money. We can come up with all sorts of excuses. But the fact of the matter is, the Lord establishes a standard. And for us to be yoked together with Him, we must conform to that standard. Or else we're fighting against Him and He does not want that. So Jesus wants everyone to come 
but makes us aware of the fact that in coming, we must agree to the standard he sets in order to receive the promises that he has made. And so that's why the Jews under the first covenant failed. That's why the Jews under the old covenant failed. Because God said, here is what I will do for you. And here is what you need to do for me. And there, in their mind was the thought, well, God's going to give us this even if I don't do it. And they found out they were wrong. And there are a lot of people today that have that same thought process. Surely God will not say no to me. Or surely because billions of people believe differently, God won't reject them. But God is not looking at anything but the standard that has been set and the offer that conforms to that standard. So when we think about uh, coming to Jesus, who should not come? Well, first, those who want to be first. We have an account that's found in Matthew chapter 20 dealing with two of the disciples, James and John brothers who had been with Jesus and we find that they had this idea about themselves in contrast to others so it tells us in Matthew's account that they had help from their mother Matthew chapter 20 verse 20 then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him desiring a certain thing of him he said unto him what said unto her what wilt thou she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. James and John had a mindset that might have been common at that time. To be with someone of great prominence and to be a close assistant to them. So it might have been that their motives were good in dealing with this. Lord, we want to help you. I want to be on your right and he wants to be on your left. And we're going to be your two most faithful servants. So grant unto us. But what in effect they were also saying was, we want positions of prominence and we want positions of authority. And we want you to promise that that's what's going to happen. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And whatever their motives might have been, he tells them as well as telling us that service to him and his kingdom is different from that of the world. People in the world might look for the opportunity to exercise great authority, to have great power, to have a great position. 
I've got a title. I've got a, an important job. I've got people that are talking about me all the time. He said, that's not the way of it in the kingdom. You're going to be a servant. Your importance is seen not by what others give you, but by what you can give to others. So he said, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. You want to rise in the master's house? That comes through servitude. And then he said, even as the son of man. Jesus is calling those to him who are willing to be yoked with him in servitude. So when you go back and you look at the idea of the invitation in Matthew chapter 11, the idea of a yoke is what is put on an animal of burden, an animal of work. He didn't say, come and join me in the saddle. He didn't say, come and join me in the seat of the chariot. He said, come and join me in my yoke. I'm working. I want others to work with me, alongside me. So if you want to be first, if you want to be prominent, if you want to be important, maybe accepting Jesus' invitation isn't the right thing for you. But another group that probably shouldn't come are those who want Jesus to affirm their lifestyle. In Matthew chapter 19, we have the, the young man coming to Jesus, and he says in verse 16, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? That's, that's the right question. That's an important question. That's a question that should be foremost in everyone's mind. What should I be doing? How should my life be going so that I can know that I'm pleasing to the Lord and I have eternal life. And so Jesus said, why callest thou me good? Verse 17, there is none good but one, that is God. But if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. So he said, first and foremost, focus on God. Focus on him and his will. Keep the commandments. Verse 18, he saith unto him, which Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Lord, what's wrong with me? If you ask that question, you better be prepared to hear the answer. Because the Lord knew that there was something about this man. Maybe he was a giving man. Maybe he was a kind man. We, we know nothing about this man other than the question that he asks, which is the right question. The person that he asks is the right person. And the answer he gets is the right answer. But it tells us that because of his possessions, they were ruling him instead of him ruling his possession. And so in that regard, he wanted Jesus in effect to say, when he asked the question, what do I need to do? He wanted Jesus to say, nothing. You've already told me you're doing everything you need to do. And again, we find that that's a lot of people that way today. They want acceptance of the way they're already living. 
And so when we hear people in the false religious world teach the idea that you're already saved, boy, that really appeals to people because in effect, they can say, Jesus, what do I need to do? And hear Jesus say, nothing. You're great as you are. You know, I think that appeals to a lot of people. Do I need to make any changes in my life? Nope, you don't. Am I doing what's right? You're great. Everybody loves that positive affirmation. But when we go to God's word, God is about showing us how we can be better, not how we can stay where we are. And if we're in the world, staying there is the wrong place. But there are a lot of people whose idea in effect is to say, I want Jesus to tell me I'm fine as I am. And if you're that type of person, you're not going to like what Jesus said because he said, take my yoke upon you. The yoke you're carrying is the wrong one. If you want to be with me, you've got to take my yoke and get rid of your own. So a third class. Those who want to find fault with him. In Luke's account, in Luke chapter 11, in verses 53 and 54, and says, As he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently, to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him, seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. One can see in their attitude a sense of mistrust or even a sense of envy. Maybe it's a little bit of the first two things we mentioned. Maybe these people as religious leaders wanted to maintain that position and that authority that they had in their community. And so when they dealt with Jesus, they wanted him to say, you guys are okay. But instead, as we note in, in say Matthew chapter 23, we have Jesus saying they were hypocrites. They were wrong in the things that they were teaching. Some are unwilling to admit they don't know everything. And so when they look at Jesus' teaching, I don't like what that says. That disagrees with what I already believe and I'm already convicted of. So I'm going to see, can I find some contradiction in God's word? Can I find what I think is hypocrisy that I can prove God's word to be untrue? The fact of the matter is that as individuals, as human beings, we're well aware of the fact that we don't know everything. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself, and is not a man that, uh, that walketh to direct his steps. In, in this regard, he's simply talking about spiritual things, but, but I think we can see in our own lifetime that people don't know everything. And, and even when they have evidence before them, they can misapply or misinterpret that evidence. You know, it's not difficult to go back, say, into the 1950s and watch commercials or watch uh, uh, movies. And everybody had a cigarette. Everybody smoked because smoking was okay. Smoking was a, a, a show of, of sophistication. And so uh, you, you might see people in a nightclub and they're smoking or a politician smoking, doctors smoking. A lot of the television programs early on in the 1950s were sponsored by tobacco companies. But then what ended up happening? We, we, we recognized that uh, 
tobacco could lead to cancer. So now you don't see anybody smoking on TV. You don't see any advertising on TV in dealing with that concept. Before we thought everything was fine, then we had to learn differently. But, but you can look at just about anything we find in our lifetime. We were told it's wrong, now we're being told it's right. You know, you, you look at the, the situation with our, our climate world today. You know, in the 1970s, they thought we were heading for an ice age. By the year 2000, we're heading for an ice age. And it wasn't another, you know, uh, 10 years ago that there were reports coming out saying that it's going to be so warm, children in England will never see snow again. You know, this past week it was snowing over there. We have all this information, but sometimes our minds are so clouded by what we want things to be, we can't see where the evidence is leading that it's not going to be that way. And there are those in dealing with Jesus who want to find fault with him because they can see things aren't going the way I think they should go. I'm not going to be as important. I'm not going to be as prominent. People aren't going to listen to me. If, if everybody can read God's word, then what do you need me for? The psalmist had this to say. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. If pride is greater than the offer that Jesus is making, we're going to fail. And so for those who have that as their attitude, they might be trying to find reason to find fault with Jesus. And if that is the case, maybe you're just not one who should be coming to him. Those not being honest with him. Turn with me, if you would, to John's gospel in John chapter 4. And we deal with the woman at the well. We have the account in uh, John chapter 4 where Jesus has made an offer to give this woman water that springs unto eternal life. She wants that water. Verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. What I have to do every day, that is so hard. I don't want to have to do that. If you can make my load lighter, I would really love that. I would really love not to have this burden that I must be involved with every day. So Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. And the woman said, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She wanted what Jesus offered, but she wasn't going to be truthful with him. Many want a crown of life, but they're unwilling to pay the price. They're unwilling to be fully obedient. In order to be honest with the Lord, I've got to be honest with myself. The call of the gospel is a call to repentance. It is a call to recognize sin and admit it's in my life. And that without removal of it, 
I am lost. Luke 13, verse 3, Jesus said, Nay, I tell you, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And then at the end of Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 24, when it talks about going forth to preach the gospel, it talks about the gospel being a gospel of repentance. Verse 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You have to look at your life and you have to look at your life as compared to God's word. And then when God says you need to make changes, you need to be willing to make those changes. You need to be honest with yourself. You need to be disciplined with yourself. Because the fact of the matter is, you can't hide your past. The Lord knows. Maybe she could say to others, I don't have a husband. Well, yeah, we, 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 didn't, we don't know anybody here who says they're married to her. But Jesus said, yeah, you've had five. You're on number six now in one respect. You're living with the sixth man. So she was trying to hide it. And her response to him was, you must be a prophet. You must be someone who has the mind of God to be able to tell me something that's been hidden. You know, we're really good about hiding things from other people. Maybe we're even experts at hiding things from other people. But the fact of the matter is there are no experts when it comes to hiding anything from God. If you're not willing to be honest with the Lord, then maybe his invitation is one you should not accept. Those who are unwilling to put him first. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the Lord said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, some folks are willing to give a large part of what they have unto the Lord, but they're not willing to give everything to the Lord. Matthew 22, verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. We're being asked to turn over everything. We don't get to keep the things we want to keep if we're going to appeal to his forgiveness and his standard. Some feel they should be excused. Some feel they should be given an exception. My life is different from the life of others. My life is harder. My life is more complicated. My life is more confused. My life is more unfair. Things didn't happen the way I wanted them to happen. Is there anybody here who can say they did? Is there anybody here who can say everything I've ever wanted in life has unfolded exactly the way that it did? You know, <clears throat> I'm on a Facebook page, <clears throat> a lot of Facebook pages, <laughs> but you know, in dealing with veterans, I'm on a Facebook page and it's just called uh, Air Force Basic Training or something like that. And it's all about people and their stories going to basic training. We all have the same story. Well, and, and it's kind of interesting. And so we put our pictures up of our basic training photo and we all think, oh, you know how naive I was. But I just remember I wanted to leave home. I wanted to go away from home. I didn't like the place I lived. I didn't like the surroundings. I didn't like where things were going. I just couldn't wait to leave home. 
And I remember being at Logan Airport and I remember I'm getting on a plane, first time ever getting on a plane. I was 17 and I'm leaving. And I get to Lackland and my first thought was, what have I done? What have I done? I wanted to cry and I thought, you can't, you know. It's like that Tom Hanks in the movie, There's No Crying in Baseball. There's no crying. You've got all these other guys, these tough people around here. There's no crying. Now, we did all cry the second night. We were all allowed to call home. And I think everybody, all these tough guys from New York and Detroit and, and me, as soon as you talk to your mom, you know, everybody cried. But that first night, I was like, what have I done? I'm stuck. I can't get out. This was a mistake. Things don't always unfold in life the way you want them to. Now, I feel in many respects it unfolded better than I deserved. But how many of us can say, I wanted this, I got it. I wanted that, I got it. I wanted this, I got it. We think that there are ways things should be done, but they're not done that way. Some want excuses because they think my life is so much dramatically different from others that the Lord should give me a pass. In Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57, came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, Suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus saith unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying that you have to live out under a tree and sleep in the open at night. And he's not saying that you should not render homage and respect to your parents. And he's not saying that you should not take care of your loved ones. He's saying that in life, the kingdom must come first. Otherwise, we just begin to pile things on top of it. I don't like being outside. I don't like that I have to do this. I don't like that I have to do that. Trust must be involved for us to be willing to yoke ourselves unto him. I must choose who is going to be number one. There's only room in my heart for one master, for one Lord, for one king. And I have to make a decision who that is going to be. And if I'm unwilling to put him first, then maybe his invitation is not one that I should accept. But then there's another category of people. Those unwilling to let him comfort them. It's very interesting that Jesus makes this invitation from a standpoint of our having a need that we can't provide. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. The rest and the comfort that Jesus is offering is that for our souls. His invitation to come to him and learn is to put aside the burdens 
of life. This means a willingness to trust him that his way is the right way. Even more than that, his way is the only way. Sometimes it's hard for people to admit they need help. We live in a self-help society. I've even learned in, in looking at things, I, I go online now and I look for these videos on, on YouTube, how to do something. So recently when uh, I, I needed to change out some closet doors, we, we had some folding doors and I wanted to put in bypass doors because I felt they would be easier to deal with. I just went on YouTube and there was like a five minute video and I thought, man, that's not difficult to do. You have this feeling, yes, I can do things. And pretty much any video, there's someone out there that's going to tell you, hey, you want to cook this thing. Hey, you want to sew this thing. Hey, you want to build this thing. Hey, you want to fix this thing. Just put it in and it's going to be out there. Now, sometimes they're not right. But there are those things out there. We, we live in a society, we're blessed in this regard, to live in a society where we can find out how can I do this particular thing. But there's one thing I cannot do. And no amount of videos and no amount of books and no amount of motivational speakers is going to give me the answer. And that is, how do I save my soul? How do I come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ so that I can have my sins forgiven? There is no self-help video to teach me how to do that. The answer is found in God's word. And the answer is found when I yoke my life to him. And that means I need what he is offering. And I recognize he is the only one that can provide it. Those unwilling to practice self-denial. Jesus said that if anyone were to come to him. They have to deny themselves. If any man will come after me, Matthew 16, verse 24, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The gospel call is a call to sacrificing self for Jesus and for others. To come to him, we must give up this life and accept the life and the yoke that he is offering. Working with him may take us in a different direction from the path we had planned. But the direction it's taking us is guaranteed by him to lead us unto heaven. Too many think that Jesus just gives us what we want and our response to that is just to accept it and go happily on our way. But he tells us that in accepting it, we've got to change our life to now conform unto his life. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, said the following. He said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul is providing an imagery of the, the Olympian games. And he said, these people will work for a long time to get involved in the marathon and run that race. 
For what? A crown that's going to fall apart. A crown that's corruptible. But he said, we do it for an incorruptible one. We do it for a crown that will never fade. And he said, so, like them, we have to be the type of people that discipline our bodies. Get them in shape spiritually so that they can serve our Lord. And that comes about through self-discipline. Verse 28, I bring my body into subjection. Who should come then to Jesus? Those who will love him fully? Those who will follow him fully? Those who will embrace his word and change your life to conform to it? There are no half measures. There are no excuses. Full submission is required to receive full remittance. He must be my Lord. I must be his servant for my whole life. Else I find myself in the sad situation that Peter mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 2 where he said it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. God doesn't want that to be the situation with us. He wants us to know the way of righteousness and he wants us to be comforted by his son. We are blessed to have a Savior who wants us to be saved. That's the invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what we're looking for. Rest from the weariness of this life. Rest for eternity. But he's not just simply giving advice. He's not saying, you can take my yoke, or if you don't like mine, here's another one over here. He's saying, there's only one yoke you can be tied to. And that is mine working with me. It's the only way to serve our Father. We must fully understand that the gospel call is a dramatic change of our life. Repenting from sin and turning unto and being with Jesus. The old man of sin must be destroyed for the new man to live. If we're unwilling to change, we can't become the new man that Jesus wants us to become. And thus we can only accept his invitation if we follow his way of living and seek to please him. And of course, this all begins when we obey his gospel and we obey it his way. He tells us that we're to believe that he's the Christ. John chapter 8, verse 24. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. He tells us that we are to repent of our sins. We looked at Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. He tells us we're to confess him before men, Matthew chapter 10. And then he tells us that we are to repent of our sins and be baptized for the remission of our sins. If we'll do those things, believing the gospel message, believing Jesus to be Christ, confessing him as such, repenting of our sins, being baptized for the remission of our sins, then his promise is to take away all of our blood, excuse me, all of our sins by his blood, then he will... Join us with him. We can be part of the Father's household. We can be part of his kingdom. We can have every expectation of life eternal. And if there's anyone we can help this morning to obey the gospel, become part of God's household, please let us know while we stand and while we sing.